Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today, we are going to talk about how to make birth more parent-centered, trauma-informed, and safe for all. And if you are pregnant or just had a baby, I am sure that is what you want. You want your birth to be individualized. You want your care to be focused on you and safe for you. So to have this conversation, I have Mandy Irby. Let me tell you a little bit about her. So she's a board certified labor nurse with 13 years of experience supporting survivors of assault and trauma through pregnancy birth planning, and at their bedside during childbirth and pregnancy loss. As a nurse, parent, and educator, and multi-passionate entrepreneur, Mandy is inspired by the transformative experience of childbirth. She is on a mission to make human rights and autonomy the center of today's birth culture through education, coaching, and consulting. And she has a lot of really great ideas and some tactics that you can walk away with and ways to advocate for yourself because what she highlights in our conversation is the systemic issue of of the birth culture and what do we talk about it being like um like being a cog on a wheel or like an assembly line and she really highlights that individualized care while it should be standard is not standard care. So she gives some really great solid information. And again, if you are pregnant or just had a baby and this is something that resonates with you, I highly recommend listening to this because it is going to give you a way to support yourself, for your team to support you, to advocate for yourself, and to make sure that the team that you've chosen really sees you and shows up for you. So I'm excited for you to hear that. Now, before we get into this juicy conversation, I just want to touch base and say, first of all, say hi, <laughs> thanks for listening, but talk a little bit about what's happening at the studio. So we're continuing to offer online and live streaming classes seven days a week. And currently we have nine prenatal classes in studio in New York City on the Upper West Side. We have baby and me, and we have postnatal, we have new mom support, we've got baby fingers and childbirth ed and lactation prep. We have all our live workshops um, back in studio, which is exciting. And as mentioned, many of them are on demand or live stream. So you can check them out that way. It's exciting to see how things have rebuilt now that we are three years through this craziness. So thanks for sticking it out with us. Um, I feel like actually the community is bigger and stronger and thanks for being a part of that. Also, if you're interested in grabbing a quick, uh, let's say a little 
cheat sheet for poses. If you're a little achy and you have some pains and you can't make it to class, head to our website and grab the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy aches and pains. Because I know it's not easy to get on the mat every day, but chances are your back's hurting, your neck's hurting, or something's going on. And I have some quick fixes for you so you can grab that there. Then besides supporting the perinatal community through our classes and workshops, and of course this podcast, we also teach. It's one of my absolute passions, teaching teachers how to teach pre and postnatal yoga. So if you fall into that category of a yoga teacher or someone really passionate about teaching the perinatal community, we have four times a year, we have our prenatal yoga teacher training, two in person in New York and two online. And what has been amazing is the quarters of the earth that we've reached. Our last online training actually had someone, bless her heart, Kelly, you're amazing, who tuned in from Australia. I think she was like 16 and a half hours ahead. We've had someone from Dubai, South Africa, Mexico. It's amazing. Many countries through Europe. So I love that we can be online and hang out with each other in this information of how to teach and support the the perinatal community through prenatal yoga is being passed around. So if it interests you, check that out also on our website. And then upcoming is our once a year online postnatal teacher training. So lots of good stuff happening. All right. And then the last thing I want to offer you, if you have a topic or a guest that I haven't spoken with yet or spoken about, reach out. We have an application that you can, if you're a guest or know someone that wants to, should be a guest, they can apply to be on the podcast. And then if you have a topic I haven't covered, please let me know. And you can reach me directly at deb at prenatalyogacenter.com because I want to make sure that I'm offering you what you are craving to listen to and learn about on this podcast. All right, that is enough of me. Let's take a quick break and please enjoy my conversation with Mandy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Mandy. How are you? Hey, Deb. I'm well. How are you? I am doing so well. So as I was peering around, um, kind of somewhat cyber-stalking you through your podcast, through your Instagram, <laughs> through your website, I saw that you do a podcast with Hehe. Are you guys in the same area? We are not. We uh, are both on the East Coast, but we have only met in person one time. In fact, not in either of our states <laughs> when we met up. Where do you live? Do you mind me asking? Sure. I live in Virginia. Okay. And she lives up north, and she was at a birth, so we met up. But no, we uh, were just online colleagues and friends. Oh, that's funny because um, I'm. I know she's from the Boston area, and I'm from the Boston area. And I was like, "Oh, are you a Boston girl?" But no, East Coast, uh, still good. No. <laughs> That was just me cyber stalking just a little bit. All right. So let's get into 
to the podcast. So I'm really excited to pick your brain about trauma-informed care. I feel like it is such an important topic. And I know with your background, you have a lot of experience with this, as well as from what I've seen with your material, a lot that you want to say about it. So um, I guess we should... <laughs> So let's jump in with, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and what led you to nursing and especially focusing on trauma-informed care. Oh, sure. Well, that is to all the teachers um, in my elementary days that wrote talks too much on all of my report cards. (laughs) Now I can do that (laughs) and teach and have a podcast. And yes, uh, it's, it's kind of a hot topic, but yes, I would like, love the opportunity to kind of clarify what it, what it means and mm-hmm. how, how it's related to parents and nurses. And that's kind of my audience online as a labor and delivery nurse, but I'm not at the bed. I'm no longer at the bedside. I feel like I can still speak to and speak with both audiences because we're very much related. I didn't want to be a nurse. Oh. Yeah, that might be a hot take as a nurse and nothing against nurses, obviously. But I was on a walk today and I was thinking about this, like um, my early story and origin story. And it, it definitely includes, I did not want to be a nurse. And I think maybe there was some sort of understanding in there that wasn't conscious about the gendered hierarchy, the medical hierarchy. And I just felt like it was such a stereotype to be female and I identify as female and also have been socialized as female, was born female, uh, to go into a female, like air quote, female role of like teacher or nurse. And I didn't want to do that. And then I found myself in school taking a turn into, I like science, but I also want to be with people and I want to be around people. And nursing was something that could be a mashup of those two. And so I went into nursing school and didn't know what kind of nurse I wanted to be. And it seemed like everyone had kind of already done that homework. And so I thought, oh, this must not be for me. Turns out... I just go into nursing school, go into nursing, kind of find out it's this obstetrics that is magical for me and dig into um, labor and delivery in a pretty large department where we supported a 60 bed NICU was one of the places that I worked. So it was a pretty high risk, um, you know, always busy labor and delivery department. And now I'm seeing you know, the very obvious gendered violence that's going on within obstetrics. I'm seeing the sexism, the misogyny, the hierarchies overlapping, the cycles of abuse. And I'm realizing that, you know, young Mandy's intuition was spot on, but I kept moving forward in that direction. And I'm now, and have kind of always been in my own way, working to change birth culture and working to change those dynamics and working to make it safer for everyone involved. So while I had a lot of resistance and I kind of pat young Mandy on the back (laughs) for acknowledging some of that, I continued to move forward, though it has been, you know, an uncomfortable journey. I think that it's, 
it's been very powerful within childbirth spaces, labor and delivery, and now online um, childbirth culture spaces. So how long were you bedside? About 12 years. That's a good amount of time to really dig into that culture and and be there and see what was happening and also to be inspired to make changes. Yeah, it was plenty, plenty of time. <laughs> All right, so tell me a little bit about your feelings. So as a former L&D nurse, labor and delivery, for being, of being overwhelmed and frustrated, because it sounds like, as you're saying, 12 years is plenty of time, and isolated when you're trying to make these improvements in the birth, to birth outcomes and the birth culture. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. The birth outcomes. I had babies. I I gave birth twice while I was at the bedside. And that's a whole other like brain warp um, to experience that on the other side of childbirth and one that's integral to my story. And most folks, you know, how many stories have we heard where, what changed for you? And it begins with, well, when I had my baby, Mm -hmm. it's transformational. And and many of us are kind of shocked by that. And I was, I was very, um, thought I knew a lot of things. And then what I couldn't find was when I came out on the other side of that first, of my first birth experience of that first experience being the patient in obstetrics in the U S I was feeling overwhelmed and frustrated by my experience as a patient. And then I had a total professional It was like a um, professional crisis Mm. because I was now seeing both sides of the coin and I was very, very aware of how much pain I was in postpartum after what I realized was a traumatic birth experience and it all looked fine. And so I, I showed this traumatic birth experience to my team, my colleagues other nurses, my friends, my other family, if you're in healthcare, it's what they like to call it, the other family. But truly, we, we become so close that they were my friends and extended family in some ways. And I was showing them this birth. I was like, they were there, many of them. And I was telling my story. And I was like, look at what happened. And they were like, I don't understand. I am seeing you got everything you said you wanted. And it kind of like, everyone's fine. And it happened the way, like as best as it could, I'm not quite sure what the issue is. And all I could think was so frustrated. All I could think was if I came out of that birth experience that everyone thinks is okay. And I am so harmed by it. How many times have I contributed to harm Mm. and never known about it? And I felt really, really alone in that. Mm. And so sad. There was so much grief for my patients that I thought I was doing a really good job. And I was a bomb nurse, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had people come back and they were like, I want Mandy. She helped me with my other babies. I felt like I did my best every single day. I was always tired at the end of shifts. Like I was checking off all the boxes of being a good nurse. And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) I had a good nurse too in my birth, right? I chose her to be there with me. She was my top pick for all the people that I had worked with. I knew every nurse on the floor and I chose her. She was a good nurse too. And how 
could I still have had this traumatic birth? So I think that my journey beyond that, I did make that decision to stay and I didn't make that decision to commit to myself. I'm going to stay, but I'm going to do it differently and we're going to make changes and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out, are we all just doomed to this like flip of a coin if we're going to be traumatized by our birth? And I just didn't want to believe that. That was really awful. So I decided to try to figure it out. Does every birth, is it just luck? Is it who you, you know, your circumstances or can you prepare and prevent birth trauma? Can you, can we figure out that the math, the science, how can we figure out how to prevent birth trauma? And went through a lot of childbirth education. Okay. Let's give parents like an eye opener of what to expect and how they can best prepare learned a lot about how, okay, nurses need more information also to support at the bedside and give options for patients who are coming with, um, you know, once they're aware of what they need, nurses are like, oh, I have no idea how to help you with that. We've only been trained on these certain tasks at the bedside. Turning to labor and delivery nurse education was something that I also did. And the isolation is intentional in healthcare because it keeps everyone on a facility centered track and a bottom line centered track instead of a person centered track and individualized care. If that makes sense. It does. Can I, and you can totally tell me that this is not something you want to talk about, but within your first experience where it sounds like it was a very traumatic experience, you tried to speak with your team. Was there anything that you were able to see that, that you could not you, but the situation could have been done differently. And then after having been through it and and like you said, being on both sides, that when you went back to nursing, you were like, I am certainly not going to do X, Y, and Z, if that makes sense. It does. And I wish (laughs) I was like, so hopeful that there was just this key I was missing to the hole I was identifying. And it turns out that it is way more beautiful, <laughs> challenging than that. And it, my answer to that is trauma-informed care. And, and the answer that I realized for me, because I did end up preparing for another baby and I did, and I don't always talk about the, you know, those changes because I, I have a level of privilege, especially working within the hospital and multiple levels of privilege that my story isn't super relatable to everybody, but I, I was able to figure it out for myself in not, in how not to have a traumatic birth the next time. And then I also don't want to paint the picture that it is all based on the birthing person's responsibility because it's not right, 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 right. Yes. I a hundred percent. Right. Nuanced. Totally. However, I think that there are many things that need to change in order for it to be a smooth, um, individualized childbirth culture. And we we can all like own pieces of that. Mm -hmm. It's not just a one, a one problem issue. And I thought it was, I thought it's the hospital. They're never going to be a safe place to have a baby. But for me, being out of the hospital wasn't feeling super safe for me because of what I had learned and learned and seen as a labor and delivery nurse. And so I had internalized a lot of that fear. 
And so for me, it was figuring out how I would feel safe and supported. And I, I do still wish that my team, mostly my provider had understood the potential relationship between my past trauma, my past history that I had shared with her in our relationship as my provider, not as my colleague, that she would have given me a little information on how that might be related and come up in my birth experience so Mm -hmm. that I could have had some warning. That makes sense. So let's get into, for those that are listening, and you've said this a few times, trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. How would you describe that? I would describe trauma-informed care as approaching approaching individualized care and approaching individuals with the understanding that they bring a unique history to them with every new experience that they encounter. Simple as that. Okay. And it's, it's something we kind of think we already do, right? Like every individual is unique. Yes. But so as an example of my team had approached me with an individualized type of care, they would have they would have centered my need to feel safe and my and, and like helping me discover all the ways in which that might change during my healthcare experience, in particular during my birth experience with them during this big transformational time. So how, so that's kind of, I love that because we hopefully everyone is being seen as an individual, but what are we to see? What are we seeing as standard care mm-hmm. currently in most hospitals and how would parent centered trauma informed, like what are some of the big differences that we are hoping to see a shift in. So what is, what are you typically seeing as standard of care? I guess we should start with that. Well, standard of care is facility centered and facilities are prioritizing the bottom line. Profits, staying afloat, staying open and profiting from healthcare. That's every healthcare facility has to make profits, has to stay afloat. And the kind of like baseline care or the care, the default care is how to um, be most profitable in taking care of humans. And so that is sometimes speed, sometimes um, interventions, sometimes tests, sometimes the place that they Put people, so like triage versus labor and delivery versus postpartum unit versus an antepartum unit, they're trying to be efficient in the way that they provide care. And trauma-informed care focuses on creating a safe environment for each individual and focusing on that individual's need to feel seen, heard, and respected. And so that can look very different for each individual, which 
if we're thinking um, about facility bottom line and efficiency, it's not super efficient to offer everyone very different care. It takes time. Um, there's protocols that allow for care to be more efficient. And individualized care sometimes pushes against those protocols or pushes the boundaries on what the baseline care is. So baseline care would be, um, it's, it's actually based on car, um, what are they called? Assembly lines. Yeah. You've heard of, yeah. um, right. So Toyota taught the healthcare industry. I believe it was Toyota taught the healthcare industry about, um, Oh, what's it called? Like an assembly line, like an assembly belt. It's assembly line and it's, it has a name. It's like, um, it's something like as needed, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it feels like an assembly line. It is literally an assembly line. So they have taken every step of their care journey and made it more efficient. So how can we spend less money on nurses? Let's shape our unit so that there's central monitoring. How can we save money on physicians? Like what is the most cost uh, bleeding aspect of care? How can we limit that and add in or maximize the ways that they make profit? And so if you're getting standard care, it can't be person-centered because it's not efficient and it's not profitable. This is terrifying. Um, <laughs> do. And I've seen, I, I, I was never an L&D nurse. Let's put that out there. But I was a doula for, for over 10 years and I could see it. Like we get in, we see, we check in, we hand the insurance card, we wait, we go to triage. Mm-hmm. There's protocols there. We go into L&D, there's protocols there. And it did feel like I, I could see at like boxes were checked. I remember actually having a client very much about to start to push. We were stuck outside in the waiting room until she was Mm -hmm. in transition. And so Mm -hmm. then she gets into her room and they're trying to get an IV in her arm and she literally wants to start pushing. And Mm -hmm. they're starting to ask her the questions that you're supposed to ask at Mm -hmm. the check-in. Like, do you live in an elevator building or are there stairs? Mm -hmm. What level of education did you have? And she's like, are you kidding me? That we need to do this and I need to push, like, but you could see that there are protocols that need to be checked off, clearly not seeing this woman who literally is saying, I want to start pushing. And they're mm-hmm. asking her, does she live in an elevator or walk up? So it's mm-hmm. like, that is like the perfect highlight of not, not parent centered, not individualized, but a cog on a wheel. I'm right. sure you saw and- that. And the individuals providing care did not create the system. Right. Right. So those nurses, not equally, but are also harmed by the system. And teaching parents, and and I do, I, I do still have parents who come to me to work through, oh my gosh, I have a history of trauma and I do not want to be traumatized by my birth. Or birth sounds super traumatic. Let's not do that. What can I do? And we kind of come up with this strategy for um, how to best prepare and how to best prepare your team. And we we go through a a few steps through that. And there is absolutely no place 
for nurse trauma in that discussion or in that relationship. Absolutely not. But as a nurse, I know that it is really, really awful. There's so much moral injury to imagine those nurses. Now, I don't know. There's some bad apples for sure and some harmful nurses. But there are some so many cycles of abuse going on within healthcare, particularly within obstetrics healthcare, particularly with nurses, that I am uncovering those layers out here on the other side of not of parent education because it doesn't, that's not helpful, right? There's, there's separate issues. But imagine if those nurses, imagine there's three of them because your patient's trying to put or your client's trying to push and it's like chaotic, which is so funny because in a hospital, when you're like, the place where you have babies, it always seems like it's a surprise when someone has a baby. <laughs> it always feels like everyone's running around. And so pregnant person's like, am I in the right floor? Like, <laughs> Aren't you expecting are you, this? This is what I'm here to do. <laughs> is this not the goal of the day? What, we, like, what do we think was going to happen? Or what is it supposed to look like? Like it always is like something's wrong with them. And I look around and I'm like, why do we not look like we've done this before? <laughs> I I can assure you, we've done this before. We just look like chickens. It's caught us by surprise. Well. I we're gonna take a quick break. <laughs> when we come back, I would love because it definitely sounds like you have ideas of or maybe even a vision. So let's go with what is your vision to make birth more parent-centered, trauma-informed, and safe for all? All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay. So we're back. So if you could paint the picture, what would your vision be to, I guess, change things up and make birth more parent-centered and trauma-informed and safe for all? Absolutely. In that room that you painted for us, where your client was pushing in the waiting room, they wheeled her quickly back. They believed her finally, or they got a room or whatever the issue was. (laughs) And there's three nurses and a provider running around like they've never seen a baby come out. <laughs> and instead of like feeling like they had to do these things that were part of an order of, um, you know, focused on the screens, focused on the fetal monitor, focused on the charting. The vision is they would be looking at your client. And they would be quiet and they would be listening and they would be confident within themselves 
that they could support this person as they were kind of getting a lot of information from her and from your team, her team, using her as an assumption. I'm not sure if that's the yes. pronoun that you yep. use. Okay. So they're getting, they're receiving information as professionals do, right? They're looking at the whole picture, but they are sitting confidently and their nervous systems are grounded that they are safe because they're freaking at work. And we've like quieted a lot of that, like horizontal violence that goes on behind the scenes and obstetrics. And they're sitting to, you know, as a team of support for your client, as is your client's team whom they have brought and your client has prepared with their team, which is you, their partner, their bestie, their family member, whatever, that they know how they feel safe and they can identify some ways in which they feel safe. Of course, it's not possible for everyone to be like, I have no idea what makes me feel safe in a hospital. I have a baby. never done that before. They've identified some ways and they have identified some ways that they want support. One being they've gone, they've chosen this facility. Hopefully they've chosen it. Another being they've chosen the team that they've chosen um, that I just listed, the doula, the partner, and the family member. And they're all there for that client. They're not there for the baby. They're not there for the machine or the charting or the facility. They're there for that client. And they are receiving information just as well as they are offering support. Um, and it's a culture of consent. I just have a vision of our birth culture totally shifting. And in that image of, that we've painted in the hospital, that is the consumers of healthcare, the birthing people and their families are stepping into their power and taking control of what they have control over. And a lot of that is transparency within the birth spaces, which I am loving social media for. Right. It's wild out there. Wild, wild, wild west trying to get birth information on social media. But there's a lot and we're, we're doing better at opening the doors of what it's like inside those rooms mm-hmm. so that they can prepare better with more transparency and honesty. And then, you know, kind of what does have to happen is low risk birth moves out of hospitals. Ultimately, but. That's that's not great for me to say because I am in the business of I'm a healthcare consultant and I work with hospitals and I'm like, hey, so the future of birth is like not here. But really, like hospitals are more profitable and are all focused on they have staff for high risk labor and birth. And if they focused on that and low risk labor and birth, a lot of that moved out of the hospital that would also put pressure on the hospital to improve their environment and um, require trauma-informed care, just in a risk of losing profits, capitalistic model. You, a couple of things you said that really, really resonated with me. So years ago, gosh, maybe 20 years ago, 19 years ago, when I was, I opened prenatal yoga center and I hadn't become a doula yet. One of my 
students, and this is, you might realize how now I realize how totally illegal it was. Um, she was doing her fellowship at one of the hospitals because New York has teaching hospitals, tons of teaching hospitals. So she was doing her fellowship and she's like, Deb, do you want to see some births? Now I was in my twenties. None of my friends are having babies because we're all there for, you know, performing and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I do. So she took me, she took me for the hospital and she put me in scrubs and told everyone, um, I was a med student. Again, this is a little crazy. I actually helped deliver a placenta. Again, realized totally inappropriate. Um, I watched, (laughs) you know, like this is crazy. I scrubbed in for a C-section. It didn't last long. I saw a twin vaginal birth unicorn and I saw, I just saw one, what I was traumatized after what looked like a success for the attendant who was like, yay, you got this baby out after, after the vacuum popped off twice. Yay. We got the baby out. And, and everyone left and I was left in the room and the babies left, not with the parents who didn't speak English. And mm-hmm. I was truly traumatized by that. And I left thinking I was just teaching these modifications for yoga and I was not preparing people for what you just said, what's happening in there. And it was a turning point to see we need to share what's happening in those rooms so that people are better prepared. So that's why I became a doula. And then I started to include all of what I learned behind the scenes as a doula and a childbirth educator in our prenatal classes, because like you're saying, I don't think people are prepared for what they're seeing. So that was, I just totally had like a a light bulb moment when you said that. So thank you for, for highlighting the need to like pull back the curtain and prepare. And then you were also saying about low risk people being out of the hospital. So part of our teacher training, we watch business of being born. I know it's like 15 years old at this point, but they say, I've seen that movie probably a hundred times. Not kidding. They say like, get the hospital, get the births out of the hospital. And it's just so interesting to hear you echo that. Well, I, I echo it because it's what's safe for most communities, especially the most marginalized, marginalized by society, marginalized intentionally communities. Mm. And that's what those communities are saying. Um, And the history of midwifery also tells that story. And the Mm -hmm. history of obstetrics also tell that story. There is no good, credible, safe reason why birth is in hospital right now except money. And yeah. And fear. I think people, I don't say it's a good reason, but I think a lot, like you said. um, That's their marketing though. That's true. That's That's the problem. It's like a lot of people have fear to have their babies. Cause what I'll tell students are like, where should I birth? I'm like wherever you feel most comfortable mm-hmm. and you know, what brings you confidence? Where do you feel most comfortable? Where do you feel safest? And mm-hmm. most people are like, Oh, the hospital. So right. yeah, I hear That's you. That's the whole shtick. I mean, they have ads on billboards and commercials about choose the safest option. And we've been told for decades, listen to your doctor, do as your doctor says, that's your doctor. Like, why would you do anything else? Dr. Google, like we're still told, why would you even think anything else? That's how they got birth in hospitals anyway. But to begin with is they said, but look at all these things that could go wrong. And then they made it illegal, essentially. Well, let's actually then turn that a little and talk about what are some ways and tactics 
a pregnant person can advocate for if they're going to be in a hospital, how can they advocate for themselves and parent-centered and trauma-informed care? Because we we don't want, or even like not even just during the birth, but maybe even like their simple checkup with their care provider. This came up in class the other day that someone came mm-hmm. in at 36 weeks and she's like, I just had a vaginal exam. I'm a little open. I don't want to be open right now. I'm like, why did you have a vaginal exam? She's like, because my care provider told me to. So like, mm-hmm. how, and then I went on a rant. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to right, pull it right, in. Right. Rant. Um, and I announced it. I'm like, I'm going to go on a rant. I will keep it brief, but I'll keep it to point. So how can we, how can, what tactics, what ways can people advocate for themselves? Sure. So yeah, birth is not out of the hospital right now. And there are ways to make it safe in the hospital and it's going to take a while. So like, that's why I'm here with nurses. Like, they have the capacity to provide compassionate, respectful care. They have the capacity to understand that individuals will have coping responses based on their nervous systems need to be safe. And so when we work backward to one over here, we're teaching nurses, what is, you know, nervous system coping? How does trauma show up in coping mechanisms in birth and how can we support folks feeling seen, heard, safe, and respected. Then on the other side, it's up to consumers to learn how they can feel safe, seen, heard, and respected. And I freaking love a birth plan set up for that. (laughs) People are like, oh my God, this be like (laughs) capitalism and birth plans. I can't keep up. (laughs) (laughs) I know that this whole this whole episode is like my own soapbox. The birth plans are powerful in that they are birth prep. And that's why my vision includes our birth culture shift, because we have to, as a culture, understand that we have not been around birth for generations. And so we don't know what we don't know. And so in coming up with a birth plan for, okay, how, start with the five senses. What makes you feel safe? What makes you smell safe? What makes you see, you know, what, what, what does it look like to be respected? What does it sound like to be respected? What does it taste like to be respected? Then a lot of questions start to boil up. Well, I don't know what they're going to ask. I don't know what options I'm going to have. I don't know what is usually done around that time. And generations back, we didn't have those questions. We saw our family members give birth. But without that, now we need to go intentionally get that information from education, from videos, from family stories, and start to grasp physiologic childbirth in the best way that we can during that kind of safety prep sessions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I know you're all about as yes. an educator and sounds like you're incorporating all of that. Yes, very much. So but it's, hard, it's hard to help people be like, no, you really need to do that. I mean, we offer childbirth ed at our studio. So my students hear me talk about the classes, but I also always put it, that's actually one of the pillars of our methodologies that every class includes a theme of childbirth ed. Mm-hmm. So I try to, it's like mm-hmm. how I give my kids vegetables. Sometimes I sneak it in their mm-hmm. smoothies. So I'm sneaking yep. it in. They don't even realize they're learning about their options and choices because it's just part of our 
part of our culture at, at my studio. So you talked about birth plans and I love the idea of a birth plan where people can, like you said, it's going to force people to sit down, like, what do I need to feel safe? What do I want? How am I going to feel seen and supported? But sometimes when I was with clients and we would walk in, I call them birth preferences because I know some people rolled their eyes at birth plans. But even when we were like, here are our birth preferences, we got kind of categorized as like, mm-hmm that patient, you know, in air quotes or Mm -hmm. the difficult patient. So do you have suggestions for how birthing parents and nursing staff can better communicate and, and embrace the birth plan or birth preferences together? Oh my God. The birth plan is a treasure trove. As nurses, it is in my programs when I am teaching nurses, individuals or whole units, we quickly get to the bottom of birth plans and they are a shortcut to individualized care. They are requests that they're the homework that the birthing person did. They are like answers to the questions that we're going to want to know already. And, you know, some birth plans kind of suck. The ones online that are like checkboxes, those aren't like getting at the specifics of things that we really want. Um, those are more like ordering up the menu kind of, which mm-hmm. is yuck because the menu's made up, <laughs> but they're a start and they are an identification that this person is really prioritizing their needs, which is what the nurse is also doing. We're all prioritizing your needs. Great. We're on the same page. So it's a way for the nurse to, um, hopefully work in some trust in like reading it asking about it, working with it, with that client. So when you were a nurse and someone came in with a birth plan, what would be a plan that you're like, yes, okay, we're going to work together. Like you said, the the check the boxes off. Like what would you want to see? Like how in depth or what, are there any like top three or four things that someone can identify that gets excited? Like, okay, I can support you. I'm here for you. We can work through this together. Oh, I just... It's always a fun challenge. I always think that even if it's a checkbox birth plan, there is information there. There, They were willing to print something off or write something down in anticipation of not knowing who I was as their nurse. I'm a stranger and I hold a position of authority in that space. And depending on their upbringing around healthcare, sometimes a lot of authority and sometimes the potential for harm, which is accurate, right? Like, it's a transformative experience. If I like put my foot in my mouth in the wrong way, that is harmful. And they like were brave enough to give it to me. And so I was always so super grateful when they did that. And so I spent time reading it and going over it. Now, early on, I was probably a jerk and like talked about how the checkboxes just were not it. And I wish they had more depth to, oh, I want this. I don't want that. I want to be like, no. I want them to just look at them like five weeks prior and be like, what does your intuition say about this whole idea as the practice? Like cutting the cord. What does your intuition say about this whole idea in a safe place where we can like talk about intuition? And they would be like, I think it's crap. Like, why is there such a hurry? Okay, great. Put that. <laughs> but you're right. When it gets up to when the nurse reads it, there's potential for the nurse to roll their eyes and be like, oh, we already do that. And really, in practice, maybe they don't. Or 
their definition of like delayed is different than the patient's. So my favorite type, I guess, would be, yes, the intuitive or at least the brave and honest, like, I am still freaked out about XYZ. I still have questions about XYZ. I don't have any questions about episiotomy. It's off the table. And my ultimate goal is number one and number two. Mm -hmm. That's that would be awesome. I would be like, oh my God, you're already like a million steps. You've already done so much work to identify your top goals, to identify what's off the table, to identify what you want more information about because like tours are gone and it's hard to access a nurse and some child care, some childbirth that sucks. And so, yeah, that would, that would open the conversation to individualized care right there. This is so fascinating. When you were talking about that, um, Maybe two years ago, I did a podcast episode with Dr. Neil Shaw, and he talked about having whiteboards in each room. I told some of his students this, so they started packing small whiteboards in their hospital mm-hmm. bag so they can have it mm-hmm. in their room so whoever walks in, they can prioritize, this is who I am as the as the birthing person. Here's my partner, so you don't have to be called like mom or mommy. And then mm-hmm. here are some of my most important things so that everyone that walks in is on the same page. I will forever think that's one of the most brilliant ideas to quickly um, break the walls down and just make sure that it is parent-centered because they say the person's name and their wishes. So I just had to throw that in there because I think it's it's really relates to what we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. He's doing work on changing culture within L&D. And to add on to that, his team has identified in, in a variety of ways how your risk for cesarean and unnecessary cesarean is mostly based on which location you Mm -hmm. choose to give birth in, which tells us that it is the culture in that location more than it is the risk of patient, the whatever, all of the things that we've thought it was. Um, It is the culture of the location. And so that means it is the staff that need to change the culture and reduce unnecessary cesareans, which is to say the long version of saying, if you get someone who dismisses your birth plan, they are dismissing, that's a disrespect. That's disrespecting you as an individual, even if you have a ton to learn and you write a bunch of stuff that they don't do and they can, you know, every nurse can sit down and be like, oh my gosh, good news. So here's what we usually do. How does that differ from what's on here and how, how do you feel about it if there's time for that? And if there's not time for it, there's still time for consent on every intervention. So cool, cool, cool. We'll get, you know, we'll discuss it briefer if there's not time for that sit down with the birth plan. But that is saying that it could be an individual issue. If someone is disrespecting your birth plan, they're disrespecting you. Is that making you feel safe in your space? If not, and if you feel safe too, how can you elevate that to get someone else? And that kind of goes into, that's not always safe for someone. So there's other ways to try to mitigate that, but you, you can hopefully get another 
nurse, get another care provider. Well, let's highlight that for listeners. So if you're out there and you're pregnant, you're like, oh, I want to have a birth plan. What if someone doesn't respect it? Just hearing that you can ask, or maybe, maybe if they're very much in labor, they're not going to be the one to talk, but someone on the team can ask mm-hmm. for some, for a different nurse. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that's important. Of, um, yeah. Most facilities have a patient bill of rights and they write it out right there. They don't really give you that. But that's important for those listening to hear that you don't just have to get who you get. So what are some positive changes in parent-centered care that you have already seen take place? Hmm. Positive changes in patient-centered care. Um, or maybe I should say, are there any positive centered, any positive changes in parent centered care that you've t- taken place? I mean, yes, it's all, I think it's all moving in the right direction, but yeah, I, I still, I still think there's a lot of work. I'm going to say, well, Yeah, I think it all goes back to our ability to exchange information online has been a big positive movement in birth culture. And it hasn't been quick and it hasn't been, you know, everyone still needs to kind of be learning and continuously learning and being careful of what information you consume online because it's not all like, gosh, I can't even like go into those parent groups. Sometimes they're pretty activating for like bad misinformation, but there are a lot of ways to get good information online. And that is whomever you are in the perinatal space. That's, that's relevant. Like nurses talking to nurses about bad hospital culture and horizontal violence. It's not just where you are. It's not just in your town. It's not just your team. It's systemic. Mm -hmm. Um, and then being able to share information about now birth centers or that information is still very difficult to find. We're working on that. And our podcast is like digging into this out of hospital birth situation. It's feels very underground still, but there are, we're making improvements and parents are sharing information with each other. What feels underground is that it's usually um, specific to each location. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to dig into what's going on where you are, you've got to dig into those like Facebook groups and online forums within your town and your city to get that good information. But parents are sharing that information with each other. And I think that's really powerful. Mm, I agree. Okay. We're going to take another break. When we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new and expectant parents? Okay. We'll be right back. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah soft made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. 
So you can put on any hat. You can put on your childbirth educator hat, your nurse hat, your parent hat. (laughs) Which direction do you want to take that question? One final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? My final tip is truly, truly put in the work. Yep. I love it. Yes. And the work. Yeah. And that goes for, that's unique to every community. So I do want to, I do want to point out that not everything that I've said today is going to be safe for someone with brown skin or is going to be safe with someone in the black community or is going to be safe with someone who is a young single parent or um, English is the second language or who has a chronic disability or is in a bigger body. So putting in the work is just doesn't get the credit that it deserves. And I think when we think about buying a car, taking a trip on an airplane or (laughs) choosing which uh, school to go to, uh, making big decisions for our our children, we put in a lot of work into finding options and learning all around, like going down that Pinterest hole, if you've done that, late at night on your phone, all the options and getting advice from other people, that needs to happen in the birth space and relying on your community for help and then getting creative because uh, birth is a human transformation and the care can be really, really creative and that can offer a really safe environment for that state, that transformation to feel safe. That is excellent. Where can people find your work? Yes, I would love that. Uh, my site is mandyirby.com. Oh, I realize that Irby, you have to spell out. It's or birthboldly.com is easy. There's 125 labor position freebie on there that parents really, really love. They can feel ready that they can keep moving and not run out of positions for even just early labor. And then I'm the birth nurse on Instagram and most social platforms. And of course, we'll have that all on the show notes. Mandy, I have really enjoyed speaking with you. I've enjoyed what you put out on your social media. Your smile on your reels is just infectious. Like every time I pop over there, you just, I don't know, you just kind of light up the screen. So um, I just appreciate the work that you're doing. So thank you. That is very nice to hear. Thank you so much for that compliment. And right back at you. I love the work you're doing. This podcast is bomb. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.